1: And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Is the world more peaceful since the revolution? It is a shame that your people suffered.
0: But bounty hunting is a complicated profession. Hello and welcome to the last episode of Still Watching the Mandalorian Season 1. I'm Vanity Fair, Senior Writer
1: Joanna Robinson. And I am Special Correspondent Anthony Bresnikan.
0: And we are here to talk about the season finale of The Mandalorian, Chapter 8, Redemption. Mm. Um... And we're also, Anthony and I are also going to fulfill a promise we made on another podcast, Little Gold Men, <laughs> uh, to talk, uh, in a spoiler, uh, spoiler
1: heavy? heavy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Spoiler heavy way about the rise of Skywalker. So we're going to do that at the end of this episode. We're going to have a little segment where we talk about the rise of Skywalker, like gloves off, spoilers galore. We're going to get into it. Um, and we'll give you a warning when that's come if you still haven't seen the movie, mm-hmm. but we're not going to spoil it. Uh, Probably too much. We might mention a thing or two uh, in discussion of this finale, um, as it relates to the Rise of Skywalker. But um, but we're not going to get into it too much, but we'll save that for the segment at the end. And that's just us fulfilling our promise to you. If you want to hear our initial talk about The Rise of Skywalker, our early impressions, sort of a more in-depth discussion, you can listen to uh, that over on the Little Gold Men feed. Uh, we did that episode mm-hmm. in conjunction with a discussion of cats. So everything is <laughs> – is, uh, everything you could ever want in a podcast over there um so this is it this is the end i am in london i can see king's cross train station from my window uh anthony is back in good old california back in
1: california where it's evening
0: uh, evening here morning there we're doing it we're
1: doing it. we're a transnational (laughs) podcast today
0: i love it i love it how (laughs) how bold of us um Alright, so let us talk about this finale. I guess I just want to ask you first of all, Anthony, if, um, you know, your general thoughts, like how, uh, both on this finale and the season, like how does this finale land for you? And then how does it sort of tie a bow on the whole first season for you?
1: I thought it was a very good finale. Uh, it started in a shocking way for me. Baby Yoda getting slapped not once but three times. Like, <laughs> that was messed up. That was so wrong. What are we I mean I'm I'm, I'm we're not supposed to laugh at that but he got this the, when the stormtrooper whacked him and then whacked him again harder. I'm like, "Oh my god. Oh my god, I can't believe they just did that." And then the the other stormtrooper slaps the bag that he's in. And I guess I guess Baby Yoda is fine, but still that was I know it's a puppet that was bracing to see. The world loves Baby Yoda, and to see him mm-hmm. <laughs> roughed up was yeah. uh, kind of a shock. But it made you really hate those two uh, douchebags, Star Stormtroopers, <laughs> <laughs> voiced by Jason Sudeikis and Adam Pally, uh, who
0: are who are experts at playing douchebags. So I <clears> love to see- I love those guys. Love to see them here. We I, Adam Pally had been in a previous episode, but Sudeikis as like his partner was sort of. Well, he was perfect. in the
1: he was in the previous episode as the same character as one of those right. scout right, troopers right. chasing down Kuil, um, aka uh, I have spoken, who ain't speaking no more. He's deceased, Aww. poor He's guy for
0: real dead. Yeah,
1: but um, uh, yeah. So those two guys, I thought this was the most Taika Waititi scene yes. of the Taika Waititi directed episode where their banter back and forth and they're lingering. It takes a while for the stormtroopers to move because they're waiting for Moff Gideon, played by Giancarlo Esposito, to get done killing people out of anger who are on his side. <laughs> and they're just sort of <laughs> cooling their heels, slapping baby Yoda around and... Uh, doing a little
0: target practice. Doing a little oh. target
1: practice, like shooting, I don't know, what some sort of like little canister that's not very far away, but neither one of them can seem to hit. And uh, right, And that was kind of funny. Um, and then IG 11 shows up and, uh, and destroys them, (laughs) like physically beats them to to smithereens.
0: Which you're rooting for because at this point you hate them because they've hit Baby Yoda. So you're like, yes, IG 11, kill those guys. Um, yeah, it is a very Taika uh, moment. And it made me, what it made me feel, wonder, think about is, you know, going back in time (laughs) to Mm -hmm. when, uh Phil Lord and Chris Miller were hired uh to do um solo mm-hmm. and how they were let go just because their vision wasn't really aligning with what Lucasfilm wanted to do or what the castins wanted to do for that film. Um and the reports from the set was that, you know, Lord and Miller were doing like a very loose improvisational comedic uh Star Wars, which is what you hire Lord and Miller to do, right? right. Um and, you know, as it turned out, Lucasfilm didn't want that. But, like, this, watching this scene, I was like, this makes me really wish I had seen Lord Miller's Solo. <laughs> Honestly, mm-hmm. like, I think it could have been really fun to see that, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, for um, sure.
0: Yeah, because I, I, like, there's a question, like, how much irreverence is too much in a Star Wars, you know? Like, yes, yeah, Star Wars have always been, like, funny and a little irreverent. Han Solo, you know, says a bunch of stuff in the original uh, trilogy that, uh, you know, is, is very comedic. But, uh, this is a step further and i think it's a step that works um and, and maybe the mandalorian is a place to, is the place to workshop that rather than a big feature ship film one scene in an episode of the mandalorian yeah um but it's, you know
1: it's tricky because star wars is inherently uh a, a kind of absurd you know right. i saw a tweet that described it as like The story of a space zoo full of Muppets and people carrying around candy colored laser (laughs) swords. And I was like, that's not inaccurate. It reminds me a little of like how Mark Hamill described working on, uh, the original Star Wars and saying like he was excited to get work, you know, but is this going to be good? Like I'm running through a space station with a giant space ape and Alec Guinness and the space ape is the one who's going to fly us to safety. He's like, I don't know if this is going to be good for me or not. Turned right. out to be great, but like, um, it's, there's an inherent, like, silliness to it. And so when you add comedy on top, it can quickly get into Spaceballs territory. And I think this True. just walked the line perfectly, as Ryan Johnson did in, um, in the opening of, uh, The Last Jedi when. Oh, with Hux. With Hux and Poe. Yeah. And, and Poe's like, it. still waiting. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. Hux, please. Like, like that gag i thought worked too even though it was overtly funny it it it's good to have a little humor but it's also like uh you don't want it to become a spoof and i thought this was really funny without becoming you know remember that short film um was it called troops it was supposed to be like cops and both oh, we're right
0: yeah yeah
1: like one of the early earliest I've fan seen films it. i've yeah. seen
0: it yeah yeah yeah. it's uh it's a lot um yeah so i mean this is a taika episode um taika also gets to play you know at least his voice gets to play a large role in the episode so what do you think is this is like the way that they decide to wrap up this season the balance of tone or the or the the questions answered or the things accomplished
1: well after that opening sequence it becomes pretty much like the tone shifts back to mandalorian tone just action adventure uh Space Western. They're pinned down. My wife pointed out that when they bring the uh E Web Heavy Repeater, which is a toy that lots of kids had from back in the eighties. <laughs> if you had the Hoth playset, you had the uh you didn't know what it was called, but it was that big black scary uh like Gatlin gun, Gatlin laser mm. from from Hoth. He sets that thing up and my wife was like, Oh, this is like young guns. I'm like, Oh yeah, right. <laughs> Whoa, wow. <laughs> so um she's great for references like that and uh Jill makes uh, all the best
0: polls. I love it. Jill. She does.
1: She, she does. So we um uh we watched it together as a family and really really enjoyed it, except for the baby Yoda slapping. <laughs> oh, I can't I can't do it without laughing, because it's a puppet, but like uh they rough that little I love, dude up. I actually...
0: More than the slapping, I really love the part when the bike tripper played by Adam Pally, like, pokes at it.
1: And he gets his finger bitten.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I
1: was like, you can't poke a puppet.
0: Anyway. Um, and Baby Yoda yeah. must
1: have sharp teeth because he goes, ouch, even though he's wearing a glove. So, Oh, it's
0: true. It's true. Mm. Um, yeah. And I feel like they made up for it. They, like, compensated with the extreme cuteness of Baby Yoda on a speeder bike. You know what I mean? Baby Yoda going just like, whoa, basically. yeah, um, In the
1: space Bjorn.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I love it. Um, all right. So a few things happened in this episode that we felt like for sure were gonna happen this season. Number one, IG eleven sort of comes full circle and, and, you know, teaches the Mando a lesson about his prejudice towards droids. Number two, Mando gets his um his mark, the mudhorn uh mark on his armor. Uh number three, we see Pedro Pascal with the helmet on. Um and I, I had a number four, but I don't remember. I'll remember it later. Anyway, so, like, you know, a, a few things that we had expecting would happen. Um, did those moments hit for you the way that, um, you know, I'm sure that they were hoping? Like, wh- wh- how, let's start with, like, the helmet reveal. Did the helmet reveal hit in a way that you really felt like, okay, this was worth a, a season of suspense to see who was under that helmet?
1: Uh, was the fourth thing his name?
0: Maybe, but I I, I don't know that, like... The, the whole name thing, let's talk about that for a second. The whole yeah. name thing is, we didn't know his name all season, but it, I don't ever remember it being like this big, like, oh my gosh, what's his name, what's his name, what's his name sort of thing. Though we do know, um, and I think it's okay for me to say this, that like, his name did actually leak out yes. at the beginning of the season, uh, via sort of this, um, behind the scenes interview that Peter Pascal gave that wasn't supposed to go out that somehow got onto the internet as these things happened. Um, we didn't talk about it just because Lucasfilm didn't really want people to know it.
1: Well, and out of respect for the fans, I think like, you know, if (laughs) we let that, let, we weren't sure how that was going to play out in the show. And I think it's fair to say like, okay, just because we know something doesn't mean it has to be out there. Uh, let people discover it on their own. I guess it, it's,
0: it depends on the thing. I think it right. matters only because, um, it's not, you know, cause we were wondering why it was such a secret. Cause we knew the name and we were like, is there, you know, it's not like he's like, I'm Jin Skywalker. And you're like, what? You know, it's not, <laughs> there wasn't like a, sig- uh, I'm Jin universe, Palpatine, <laughs> right? A universe significance to this name, but I think there is power in Moff Gideon saying it. And us not having her, you know, naming them in. There is power in that. That's actually maybe my favorite one of the episode is Moff Gideon, played by Giancarlo Esposito, standing outside and calling out everyone's full name and, like, you know, that car dunes from Alderaan, like telling us, Cara stuff, Cynthia
1: you know? Dune. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, cool. Cynthia is a star Wars name now. All right. Oh, is it like spelled the- like our world? Like, uh, <laughs> the disapproving Lexi-
0: parent who's like, uh, using the middle name. Uh, anyway. Yes. That's exactly uh, what it was
1: like. Yeah. like. Cara Cynthia Dune, you get over here just this instant. And, yeah. um, but Dinjarin, like, I think it was fair not to talk about it and not publish anything about it. It leaked out. You didn't know whether, like, episode five, he was gonna meet, like, a Jaren somewhere, and that that was gonna come. You know, you didn't, just didn't know how it was gonna play out. And as it turns out, the name reveal is not, does not illuminate anything about the character necessarily. All we know is, that's, he has carefully curated this anonymity, and now one of his adversaries has discerned who he is. Uh, which means, that they know everything about him um, because they, they know the thing that he has worked hardest to keep secret. And so in a way it challenges his Mandalorian identity because that whole thing is about remaining masked and suppressing yourself in favor of the group. And um, I thought, uh, I thought that it worked pretty well as a, as a, as a sort of ominous warning to him, uh, you know, car uh, Cynthia Dune he, he it turns out to be from Alderaan that was kind of a I like that I thought that was a cool reveal yeah and then grief car is a disgraced magistrate so I'm like okay that tracks too like I see him <laughs> like as kind of a politician who turns to like becoming a crime lord but it um, felt it,
0: it felt like a very um spring <clears throat> from breaking bad thing of like I've read all of your files <laughs> you know what I mean like yes. I'm not just here to blow you up I've read your complete files you know what I, know, I mean? So.
1: Yes, I know everything about you. Yeah, it's yeah. almost ominous and omniscient. So
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I dug that, um, which means like he knows things about this child that I think we and they don't yet know. And I'm interested <laughs> in getting into that in season two.
0: I have a whole theory about that. I don't know if we want to do that right here. Do you want to, do you want to hear my whole yeah. child Moff Gideon theory?
1: All right, let's hear It's just a theory then, right? It's not something you picked up through your extensive no. uh, whispering no. birds. No, no, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no,
0: no. I know nothing about season two except the fact that, A, here's some things we know. Gina Carano's in it, because mm-hmm. she said so. Uh, so it's not, this was not the last we saw of Kara. Um, that's about it. That's about Carl all Carl Weathers is
1: in two. it. He directs an episode, so we know yeah. that. There all you right.
0: go. That's about it. Um, no, so here's my theory. We we still didn't get like a for sure for sure answer as to why they want the child, what they're extracting from the child, what they're trying to do, right? No. But in the final moments of the episode, uh, we get this reveal that uh, Moff Gideon has this weapon that's known as the dark saber, which yes. you know, I will talk about in a little bit. Um, but you know, he basically has a black lightsaber. It's a very it's a very storied and significant weapon in in star
1: wars lore it's one of a kind it's yeah because i was like initially like oh does he have a black lightsaber no. or the dark saber the and there's dark only saber. The one yeah there's only one so yeah
0: so bad. and i don't know if there's any indication we have that he has the force himself and so i'm wondering if this is, is this feels like a story i've seen before and i don't mean that in a bad way which is here's the guy maybe he wants to try to make himself a jedi you know what I mean? He's got a Jedi's weapon. I mean, it's been wielded by people who aren't Jedi in the past. But, like, he's got a Jedi's weapon. Maybe he's trying to, like, pull the Force out of this thing so that he can somehow imbue himself with the Force so that he can be a Jedi. That's right. You know it's what I makes mean? Makes sense. Yeah. That feels like what his mission is. And I kind of like that those stories because it's, like, a very vulnerable thing to do. You know what I mean? It's, like... He's very powerful, but he's like, Oh, but I want to be a Jedi. And we're all like, we want to be Jedi too. You know, he's like, like it's very J-
1: Jafar from, uh, yes. Aladdin, like, ah, yes, you were powerful as the Sultan, but the genie is more powerful. Like, exactly. ah, make me a genie. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's my
0: theory. It's not, it's not based on anything that I know. It just seems like it's, you know, once I saw the weapon, I was like, Oh, that's yeah. probably what he wants. Um, so we don't know, but we'll find out. Um, all right. So that's, Um, we'll get back to the Darksaber, I feel like, and I'm sorry, I'm ping-ponging a little, but that's what I tend to do with finales, because it's like, everything... Okay, so let's go back to the, let's go back to the helmet reveal. What did the helmet reveal do for you?
1: Um, again, it was him letting down his armor in a literal way, and, uh, having a connection to this droid, and, you know, he says, no living thing has seen my face since I basically joined this creed, this, the Mandalorian tribe. IG-11 tells him, well, I'm not alive, which... Makes the Mandalorian want to push back against that, right? And I think it makes him realize that the droids that killed his family—that it wasn't droids who want, really wanted that—it was some being that directed them, you know. And that a droid is also capable of kindness if that's what it's taught. And um, I think there's a whole parenthood theme going through this. We talked about a lot about like the the uh, the stolen children and the absent children. Lost children theme that that's running through Mandalorian and Star Wars in general. And I thought this was a nice moment. It was just nice. It wasn't awe inspiring. It wasn't oh my god, that's what he looks like. No, it's like it's like Pedro Pascal looking not his best. No <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, kinda like, you gotta- it's kind of like he opened the front face camera and was looking down and he's kind of <laughs> smushed. And-
0: yeah, not the best, but also like <laughs> I, he took it off. I mean, yeah, he's he's bloody. His hair is damp, blah, blah, not his best. But I was like, I will tell you this much. My helmet hair would have been a thousand times worse than that if all I ever did was wear a helmet. So, you know. <laughs> uh Mm -hmm. could could have been worse i think
1: could have been worse Uh, but he didn't look his best and he got a little back to spray you know and that's what it was healing him and i like i like the little joke that ig11 makes which is like you've suffered damage to your central processing unit and he's like you mean my brain brain. (laughs) and he's like that was a joke it was meant to put you at ease
0: (laughs) (laughs) ig11's trying with a bedside manner um have we seen back to spray before is that a thing
1: uh, yeah, existed. you can get it at Space Rite Aid. I'm sure it's fine. Like, okay. Because, <laughs> like, yeah.
0: So, like, Vader does the, like, back to tank sort of stuff. We've seen Luke in a back to tank. Like, that's a thing. But, like, I was like, oh, it's a spray now? I okay. don't know. What's the
1: Harry Potter spell <laughs> where they just heal each other magically? Like, it's <laughs> right, sort right. of like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, Back um, to... But, um, <laughs> back to whatever. Back um, to
1: Fopendo. Yeah, I, I don't know.
0: I guess they're still reserving that, like, big emotional... I mean, I'm assuming... Eventually we'll see Mandalorian take his helmet off for a, for a person. Yeah. Um, and not to discount IG 11. And I think it is important that you're right that like that the Mandalorian even hesitated to take his helmet off in front of this droid meant that he was considering this droid as a living thing. Yeah. And and that's progress for him. So that's important. But, um, I, I, it's not, it's not a big, um, like the big emotional moment that I was waiting for. So maybe we'll still see that when he does it for, um, someone he considers like a fully living thing, mm-hmm. if and when he does that. Right. Um, all right. And then, um, he gets his, his mark, his sigil from the armor, the mud horn. Um, the, the mark that he rejected at the beginning of the season, but now, uh, he takes, uh, and, and I think she says, you're a tribe of two. Yeah. Um, this is sort of uh, similar. Close to what we were expecting to happen, but how did, how did it land for you?
1: It, I don't know. It, he kind of rejected the Mudhorn. So I know. now it's a Mudhorn? Like, okay. It's just, okay. I don't know. Yeah. Didn't, it just didn't, look cool. It did look cool. I, I, yeah. I didn't quite get it. Um, but, you know, why it was – it felt underwhelming because he had rejected it before. And it's like, okay, I guess we're just going back to that. But fine. Yeah. It's fine.
0: I agree. Like we were, we were waiting to see some sort of impressionistic version of, of baby Yoda. And I get that this creature like, bond, you know, this is a, a bonding moment for them. But, um, yeah, as you say, since he rejected it and then there wasn't a discussion again about it, it was just like on him. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, oh, okay, well, there we go. Yeah. Um, so, so that happened. But I will say the armorer, as played by Emily Swallow, um, had a maybe my second favorite moment which is the armor is sort of like stand um yeah. where she fights off the stormtroopers and even though like i did not think that they would kill her because i was like she's she's salvaging all that armor she's, she can't die she can't die she's salvaging armor um i just thought she looked so cool with her hammer and tongs and then fighting with them and stuff like that i thought it was hurled really that
1: stormtrooper into the fire pit yes. that was pretty great <laughs> yeah 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 so that was a pretty good moment no mercy for stormtroopers in this episode no
0: no we see a lot of them go down Mm -hmm. um and then we get there's this other droid this like riverboat droid the fairy (laughs) droid that's like cause kind of looks like r2 but then stands up i personally (laughs) and i uh, this is my issue not a issue with the show found it perturbing to see yes. something that looks so much like R2 with those long legs. It really upset me. It's um, funny. I
1: I, I have terrible handwriting and I'm sitting there writing notes. And yeah. at the end of the show, like I leave my notebook down and my wife picks up the notebook and I'm like, can you read any of that? And she looks at it for a long time and she goes, R2-D2 with arms and legs. <laughs> <laughs> and like, yes, that is yeah. a note I made. Like that was, it was weird. It was like, I don't know. I guess, but was it bad? It was weird. I think it was meant to be weird. I think it it was was, like unsettling.
0: I think it was was meant to be like a funny reveal because you're like, oh, that looks like R2. Oh, there's going to be like an R2 drawer. And then all of a sudden it's like tall and you're like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. It was like um, R2,
1: like uh, when you're used to seeing him as a little kid and then you see him as a teenager and you're like, oh, I guess you're good at basketball, but you're kind of gangly and weird. (laughs) (laughs) You're in that in-between pupa stage. (laughs) Like it just didn't seem that it was because he had like, it wasn't like, I guess it would have been weird if he'd had like really like robust um like uh super battle droid arms and legs instead of just like these it was like spider legs it was like insect legs coming out of r2 and that's why it was weird
0: it was it was unsettling for me um the other thing that um we get in this episode is i think we had already fairly well pieced together the mandalorians backstory because i think because you and i understood that being a mandalorian wasn't um as Cardoon says, like, so succinctly, it's not a, it's not a race. Um, what, it's a credo, I think they say, or something it's like that. It's
1: a creed. It's not a, uh, yeah, it's not a race. It's a, it's, goes, a creed. it's a creed.
0: Um, yeah, and, um, which is something that I think we struggled to try to really explain to people at the beginning of the season who weren't, who didn't really understand. But I thought that was a nice, like, succinct way of saying it. But it's like, you don't have to be born a Mandalorian. So I think there's a lot of stuff that like if you weren't aware of the Mandalorian culture and all that stuff, this felt like a big reveal that he's the Mandalorian isn't like born Mandalorian. But I think we kind of understood that already. But it just it, it we saw the flashback in its entirety this time. Um, we see everything happens. And and this time we saw the Mandalorian sort of swoop in and save him. Um, and then there's this other part of the episode that feels kind of weirdly rushed to me, which is like the Mandalorian gets his jetpack. And it's like, okay, are you trained? And he's like, yeah. But she's like, okay, but you can't use it yet because you're not really trained yet. So IG Eleven's gonna carry it for you for a while. Oh no, IG Eleven's dead. You have your your pack your pack back. Okay, now you can just use it. Like I don't know. It just seemed very like. I felt very jerked around by the whole rocket pack thing. I, I think it would have been better if she had just like given to him, and then like he was immediately wearing it, versus like this whole rigmarole around it. I, but I hear
1: what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah,
0: okay. and then and then it all happens so that we can get this mirroring shot of the Mandalorian taking off. Um, with baby Yoda that mirrors the shot of the, of the Mandalorian soldier who like rescued him as a child from destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, just to show this, as you say, this idea, this theme of parenting of, of uh cyclical, um, I don't know, trauma and, and healing.
1: Right. Yes. I think the whole reason for that you aren't fully trained thing is he does battle with Moff Gideon in his cool folding tie fighter. And I think what they wanted to avoid was that he was an expert rocketeer who'd be able to fly like, who'd be able to like dogfight with the tie. And he, he's not capable of that. He essentially vaults up into the air over the tie, hits it with a grappling hook and then climbs onto it. He doesn't like soar through the air, you know, like, like a, an Eagle or something. He's, uh, he's got limited abilities with the rocket pack. So I think that was really all that that was setting up, um, and uh and then he blows up the tie which i thought was kind of neat
0: yeah i mean it, it's cool like rocket like i you know i love the movie the rocketeer and also mm-hmm. the iron man franchise so i love a, i love an air fight i'm here for it um i just i thought there was like a little e- extra it's sort of like well um not to spoil a, a moment of the rise of skywalker but i think there is this fear in um house lucas film <laughs> of yeah. fandoms pushing the glass fans pushing the glasses up the nose and being like oh actually they're not properly trained to this or like something like that boy you know, he just got
1: the rocket pack and something you just fly around with it that's yeah that's not how this works
0: yeah it just it leads
1: to some awkward i love how our mean now. voice our mean fan <laughs> voice is like <laughs> such a snurpus.
0: <laughs> um and so yeah so we're we're headed off to season two with a few things number one Grief and Kara have been left behind, but we think not, we know not for long because, uh, they're in season two. Uh, he's on this mission, uh, set to him by the armor to find, um, where Baby Yoda came from, Baby Yoda's people, return Baby Yoda to, uh, his people. Mm-hmm. And that Moff Gideon is still alive, has the dark saber, and, uh, will not be stopped. Uh, apparently. So that's that's where we're headed in season two, right?
1: Yes. So, what did you think of the dark saber? How it looked? Mm, just its reveal. So, Moff Gideon crashes his, uh, TIE fighter. He cuts his way out. We think he's dead, but he's not. He cuts his way out and, uh, he cuts his way out with this angled black lightsaber. It looks almost like a cutlass, you know, like a pirate's yeah. cutlass. And it's, it's uh,
0: thicker. It's thicker than, like, a lightsaber would be.
1: Yeah, and it yeah. has, like, a curve, like, a wider pointing your tip to it. It's not just like a rod. And it um, uh, slashes his way out, climbs triumphantly to the top. And I feel like a lot of people are not going to know what this thing is. They're just going to think it's some kind of cool black lightsaber.
0: But don't worry, because there's a lot of explainer articles out there about about what the black lightsaber is what the dark saber is including
1: at VanityFair.com. Thanks. please head to (laughs) VanityFair.com
0: for the best one uh written by (laughs) anthony presnican um but it's um i only know what it is i mean i've seen you know features prominently uh pretty prominently in rebels and uh in some of clone wars as well um And so I know what it is because I've seen those animated series we talked before about how, like, seeing the animated series, you know, should not be a barrier of entry for enjoying the Mandalorian. So, um, I think it's a, it's a cool enough, like, it's a cool reveal in terms of, like, that's a cool looking weapon. It's Mm -hmm. not something we've ever seen before, uh, in live action. Right. Um, and then for those of us who do know what it is, it's like even more exciting. So I think, I do think it kind of works on both levels. And the fact that he's alive and still out for vengeance is, is a whole thing. For me, because I do know mostly what the Darksaber is, but I'll, I'll sort of have you, uh, run it down for me in a second. But like, um, for me, it was really satisfying because I was waiting. I was waiting for something in this episode that felt like, really cool and game-changing and i think that that weapon is it um just for the potential uh, that i mentioned even even if like my whatever theory isn't true it's just the the potential the connection to previous star wars stories like all that sort of stuff and um so i was really excited to see it but I am curious you know if if it landed at all for people who don't know what the Darksaber is um, and on that note Anthony do you want to tell us what the Darksaber yeah. is?
1: I mean I thought I think it's going to hit people it's just like well that looks cool and then they'll maybe yeah. go research what it is and what they're going to find I, I suspect in season two is uh, a little history of it and that history is that I mean there's a long history I tr- tried to dive into it and write about it yesterday after watching a preview of the episode and uh um, there's a lot. There's, there, it was in many episodes of the Clone Wars. It was in many episodes of Rebels. And the upshot is, it's, it's an artifact that's very symbolic to Mandalorians in particular. The first Mandalorian to become a Jedi a thousand years ago, uh, was, uh, it created this object and, uh, you know, harnesses a different kind of energy with a different kind of crystal, yada yada, <laughs> you know, but it, um, it has, it doesn't, it doesn't technically function in any way other than a lightsaber, but it's, it has symbolic value to Mandalorians. So the fact that we're in a show called the Mandalorian, I think that that has special significance. Another thing I'll note is that it was uh, wielded in the, uh, the clone wars by a character named pre Vizsla, who was a descendant of that first Mandalorian Jedi voiced by John Favreau. Of course, the creator of the Mandalorian who plays another character earlier in the season called Paz Vizsla, who, who, Surely from the same house it was spelled slightly differently i don't know if that was like a typo or what or that was on purpose but um the Vizlas have a long history in mandalorian culture they had the weapon back in the clone wars era and when we see young dinjarin rescued by mandalorians in this episode they have the insignia on their armor of the shriekhock i believe it's called it has like a more complicated star wars name but it it looks like kind of like a flaming phoenix style Mm -hmm. rough hewn design i noticed that on their armor and of course that's the that's the house of visla sigil so the mandalorian was rescued perhaps by this pre-visla character that john favreau voiced in the animated series like um or at least by his uh by his uh his little team. They called them. Yeah. Yeah. So they um well no, it was like that was his during the Clone Wars he led this little terrorist cell. Yeah. Yeah. And uh Death I think it was Death Watch or something. And they, you know, oh a very upbeat sounding name, you know (laughs) (laughs) They just went with they just went with his metal band from high school. Like, let's just name ourselves after that. Uh and he um so the Mandalorian was rescued by these guys. And so that seems to be all tied back into this. So the that saber is going to have some symbolic value for the Mandalorian moving I have forward.
0: some I have some questions about timelines and timing mm-hmm. and what we know and whatever because the armor character, you know, basically the Mandalorian says, "Right, um, yeah, I'm protecting this child. He can move things with his mind, you know, because he doesn't like really know how to articulate the force." And then she says, "Oh yeah, I've heard tell." of something, you know, these, these Jedi warriors. Um, now, okay. So we are just a bit past, um, return of the Jedi, right. Um, is, is, is the timeline we're in. And during the time of return of the Jedi, like Obi-Wan's in hiding, Yoda's in hiding. Most of the Jedi were exterminated, but Luke sort of rises up. Um, is it odd that, you know, the Mandalorian doesn't know what Jedi are, or, I mean, I don't know. How famous is Luke Skywalker at this point? Like, what what's going on with, with the knowledge of the Force? You know, because, like, they're, by the time that Luke is, you know, around, like, the Force has passed into legend. And then it comes out. Well, here, here, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place, but here's the last thing I'll say. I guess an explanation for all of this is, like, the universe is large. This universe is large, and so when you've got, like, when, uh, The Force Awakens starts, and Finn and Rey are, are like, oh, The Force isn't a legend? It's real? You know, and Han says, yeah, it's real. I used to believe it was, I used to think it was Mumbo Jumbo, but it's not. It's real. I met Luke Skywalker. And so this idea that the Jedi, are so famous to us, but not maybe, like, believed to be real by everyone in the galaxy is interesting to me, you know?
1: Yeah, I guess it's a hard thing to wrap your mind around, and it's really kind of for plot convenience right. in a way. So, you it's one of those things you just have to buy into it or not. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, there doesn't seem to be, like, mass media in the galaxy. Like, there are transmissions... <laughs> And messages you can send, but they're not great. There isn't like, not everybody knows everything. You know, that there isn't like space CNN or something. So. <laughs> that's
0: my favorite, that's my favorite joke out of the Rise of Skywalker. I know we promised not too many Rise of Skywalker spoilers here, but like, um, I think you know by now, if you're listening to this, that the Emperor Palpatine is in. Uh, he's in the trailers, right? He, yeah. His, his voice is, at least, is in The Rise of Skywalker. And it's coming around the galaxy in the form of a transmission. And my favorite joke that I've seen, actually, from a cover to places, so I don't know where to source it, is like, oh, Everyone's got a podcast. Even the Emperor Palpatine has a podcast. Ah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the, barring Emperor Palpatine's podcast uh, in The Rise of Skywalker, you're right. There is a podcast.
1: Thank yeah. you for listening to So Be It, <laughs> the podcast from Emperor Palpatine.
0: <laughs> Who would be his advertisers? Probably oh, not Casper Mattress, but maybe Peloton.
1: Snuggy. <laughs> <Snuggie. laughs> The most, Maybe some sort of, like, face cream. <laughs> yes. Like, the most yeah. comfortable robe in the galaxy will enshroud <laughs> your evil in everlasting comfort. <laughs> I'm afraid that's it for this week. Um,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: So, um, um... All right.
0: Uh, right. We're, we're this to close me? to
1: starting an Emperor Palpatine podcast. <laughs> yes. <guess. laughs> Um,
0: Is there anything else you want to say about the Mandalorian before we hop over to uh, Rise of Skywalker?
1: Well, I just think that to just sum up with the, what are the Jedi? You know, I think one reason I'm willing to roll with it is the Jedi were very closed off and not keen to explain themselves. So they were Mm. kind of like, it's almost like, um, they're like these covert operators and while they did have a place of prominence in the leadership and protection of the galaxy, uh, a few generations later, they've been exterminated and um, it, I can see, I can understand why people would go, uh, yeah, I guess maybe I heard something about that. You know, it just reminds me of a few years ago. This is going to be a stupid example, but like, <laughs> uh, you know, I was watching like a football game over Thanksgiving with like my family and like a guy came on to perform the halftime show and they were all like oh cool i love this guy and i'm like who is this like you don't know who pitbull is and i was like no (laughs) (laughs) this was many years ago but i'm like no uh oh and then i was like uh watched him perform and i was like "Ah, i'm good with not knowing who pitbull is like there's a reason i don't (laughs) know this i don't care (laughs) i don't care about him so I feel like uh, the Jedi are like Pitbull to a lot of people. Like, eh, if you're into that, fine. But if not, if you've got other stuff going on and your people have been wiped out and you're living in a sewer, like, eh, who has time to really know about the Jedi? Uh,
0: Again, right.
1: I prefaced it. I, pro- I told you it was a weird example.
0: <laughs> no, no I, I like your weird examples, Anthony, generally. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Well, you know, is there anything else you want to say about the Mandalorian before we. Uh, oh bid it farewell until season two
1: I, I thought it worked i thought it was a good show it, it had a lot of great moments it had some interesting story shifts kind of episode of the week for a little while and then it brought it back around to something a little more connected and um i'm down for season two i want to see him find that something i want to find out who he's going to give this kid to
0: yeah i would i would like um even more connection is something I would love from season two mm-hmm. and it could even be even tighter. It probably won't be, but I'm like, I could do a six episodes of the Mandalorian. Um, you know, I could, this could yeah. have been a six episode season as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, um you know, it, it might be that next season gets even more uh, in-depth and then I, I'm like, oh, only eight? What? I want yeah. more. Uh, <laughs> so you never know. But um, I think they're on a, on a good path. And season two has a chance to be even stronger. It, um,
1: it, it's not yeah. a show like Game of Thrones where you have, like, four or five storylines going at once and they're kind of weaving together. It's really just the one storyline. So, right. you know, there isn't a lot of, like, Oh, this was a cool, like, side episode where it focused mainly on this, this era and this location or this, this group of people. Like, there's just the Mando and, and Baby Yoda, so.
0: I just, I want the, like, Moff Gideon episode that's, like, just him. Like, I don't know reading files, whatever he does uh, in his downtime. I'd love to know about it. Um All right. So we're going to hop over to The Rise of Skywalker really quickly first, uh, in case you're not going to join us for that discussion. I want to say that Still Watching will be back in the new year. Uh Richard will be back on, uh, we actually don't know which show we're doing next yet. Uh, so I'm sorry I don't have that to announce for you, but we will be back with more Still Watching something in 2020. Um, But here Anthony and I go with our Rise of Skywalker. Spoiler heavy thoughts. Leave now or forever. Hold your peace. Mm -hmm. Uh, here, Here we go. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham.
1: And this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious.
0: The dead speak, Anthony. Um, all right. So <laughs> since since we last talked, you and I have both uh, have you seen The Rise of Skywalker one more time or several more times?
1: Uh, just the one more time.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, and I went. There's there's this big theater. I actually wrote a piece about it uh, when The Force Awakens came out uh, for Vanity Fair, uh, and uh, because it was supposed to be closing then, and that was supposed to be like the last Star Wars that they showed at that theater, and then. Uh, It's still open. Uh, but this is, this is a big, we call it the big theater. It's in, it's in Marin County where I grew up and where Judge Lucas used, this is the theater he used to screen, uh, movies in for people. Um, and, I mean, there's one out on Skywalker Ranch, but he used to screen movies at this theater, um, that, you know, the public can go to. And I've seen every, every Star Worm in, since, I mean, since the Phantom Menace is not that long, but since the Phantom Menace there, and when I, when I did my Force Awakens story, I talked to a bunch of people in line who had seen everything from the beginning there. You know, there was like a tradition for people who lived there. So, um, I'm glad that it made it to the end of the trilogy. Um, I don't know what's going to happen to that theater, but, um, but it was very empty, which is very surprising because usually that theater when Star Wars is playing is consistently full um and i think that's kind of telling not that this has been like a big box office disappointment it's just been like slightly muted and um you know i think we went a uh, midday on a sunday or something like you know but like it was just not it was just not very full um but i had a good time i, I just like wanted to have a better time than i did at the premiere and, and i did in that like I had already done all my, like, overthinking about it, and then I could just, like, sort of sit there and, like, enjoy what I might enjoy from it, if that makes sense. Um, and I still have my issues with it, um, but, you know, mm-hmm. I was also able to enjoy parts of it. So what is what has been your journey through uh, sorry, it's, it's The Rise of Skywalker?
1: <laughs> it's the reverse of what you just described. Yeah. I feel like when I watched it the first time, I, like... Let my, I let my emotions get swept up in it and the novelty of it. And then on second viewing, I was a lot more like, wait a minute, like why is this happening? Like where I was, the logic flaws stood out to me a lot more, um, on the second viewing. Uh, I still enjoyed it. I definitely understand people's like sense that they didn't get what they wanted from it, you know, or frustration with where the story went that didn't speak to them. Um, the reveal about Ray's origin kind of speaks to me. It does connect with me. So I find that I did find that satisfying. And, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I, but I also understand why some people, many people don't. Um, but things that bothered me were just sort of, and again, Star Wars is riddled with these, so it's not, like, a fatal dose of illogic. But things like when Rey sees the transport taking off yeah. from Pisana, and she and, and Kylo engage in what I think of as, like, force arm wrestling, where they're both trying to... He's <laughs> trying to push the starship out of the atmosphere and into space. Mm-hmm. She's trying to pull it back, and then she, you know, accidentally lets loose with a bolt of... uh force lightning that destroys it. And everybody's like, no, Chewie. Oh my God. Chewie died in a fiery ball. Like it's terrible. And then, um, like as soon as that happened, I'm like, that's not how Chewie dies. Okay. So that's not gonna, we're right. gonna, I was like, I literally turned to my wife and said, I think this is going to be like a Marion is in the other basket right. situation. <laughs> and like, right, that's right. exactly what it was. But what, what bothered me then was later when they're on the, uh, Kajimi. And she sees the Star Destroyer in the upper atmosphere, and she's like, oh, Chewie's aboard that ship. And I'm like, wait a minute, how did you, how can you sense him in a bigger ship that's further yep. away, yep. but could not sense him in the smaller ship? And But now I'm becoming like Patton Oswalt's character from, from uh, Parks and Recreation. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm pointing at the air. Why could you not do this? Why could you not do that? I, I guess I just would have preferred for her not to sense Chewie on the ship. You know? I don't know. Why does the force work sometimes and not other times?
0: I just don't think that they needed to... uh, I think they had two options there. Mm -hmm. Either kill Chewie or don't pretend you killed Chewie. Yes. Honestly, because... And I understand that they wanted, like, her to feel afraid of her power. So there needed to be, like, a large consequence. And I honestly think they could have, you know, like... That's not how Chewbacca was going to go out in terms of like the last shot we were going to see of him wasn't going to be like from a distance boarding a transporter. But I do think they could have, not that I wanted them to, but I think they could have killed Chewbacca in this one. Uh It's the last one in the trilogy. And if you want to, you know, all the old guard are dying. Um This makes it sound like I want Chewbacca to die. I didn't. But I'm just saying like mm. either do it or don't because the fake out death is there are multiple fake-out deaths in this movie and that's what really bothers me, right? Because, like, you need to have these fake-out deaths for the force healing back and forth thing, which ultimately I like the force healing. Um, So, Kylo's fake-out death and then Rey's fake-out death and Kylo's other fake-out death when he goes down the hole and, like, um, you know, three PO sort of fake out death in terms of like we think his memories and wife, but oh no, don't worry, like R two as a backup, like it just feels like I just felt very jerked around by all of that, you know, in the end.
1: So yeah, I'm not a big fan of fake deaths. I wouldn't consider Kylo getting stabbed and healed like a fake death. You know, to me that's okay.
0: Yeah, he didn't. At least you know? he didn't like yeah go like unconscious uh, and I would still have just like,
1: <laughs> I would have accepted that. And the Ray resurrection at the end. Yeah. Um. But you're right. It's one too many. I would have been okay with leaving C-3PO erased. He's been erased yeah. before.
0: And it's, and then his like sacrifice means something. It's funny because like, you know, we talk, we, we were talking earlier this episode about me. Like, you know, sometimes I know things that happen and I knew a lot of what was going to happen. In the rise of Skywalker, Like, so much so that I was looking for that second transport. So I saw it the first time I watched it. I saw the second transport because I knew that that was, like, a fake-out thing that they were Mm going to do. But, like, I knew about 3PO's memory wipe. And, like, you know, this is something that they sort of, like, teased in the trailers a lot of, like, I want to take one last look at my friend's 3PO said, And so you're just like, you're like, oh, this is a big moment. Except it's, it's it's not, it's a comedy beat. They played it for comedy. 3PO's memory being wiped is a comedy. It's like the noble sacrifice is not the direction they decided to go with that. And that's fine, but it's just, it feels like cross wiring. You know what I mean? Especially with the way that they sort of played it in the marketing. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's just expectations versus reality, but, um, The things that did work for me and still work for me are the performances. Someone was asking me, like, if I thought this movie was better or worse than Solo. Um, because Solo was a pretty unpopular Star Wars movie. And, um, I think the performances across the board are just so much stronger and deeper in this movie Mm -hmm. that I think this movie has to be better for that reason. You know, um, not to really knock all the performers in Solo. It's just sort of like, you know, these people were, we're paying off two sometimes five sometimes uh you know what's math eight what eight movies like of lead up to this moment and so um i think it just has that it, it feels weightier that because of that uh versus solo
1: you know mm-hmm. yeah one of the things i noticed watching it was how much it's connected to the original trilogy and um in the Star Wars chronology, the original trilogy is not as far back as like the prequel trilogy, but I think in our chronology it is. It's much further. It's uh, you know, it's 42 years ago. And I think some of the dissatisfaction comes from people who are really invested in the new characters, and this movie is is quite occupied with connecting them back to things from yesteryear and the past. So for older fans like me who do feel like a, a strong? My strongest connection is through those original characters: Luke Skywalker, Leia, Han Solo, Chewbacca, C-3PO. This movie, uh, it, it, it hit a good place, right? It, it gave me something that was a bit more satisfying. But I think if you're much more, if that's less important to you, and you're and you see them more as ornamental to a story about Ray and Finn and Poe, and um and Rose and uh. uh I, uh you know Kylo Ren then i think it i understand the frustration that it is so determined to look back to the past and revisit elements from those earlier films um what do you think about that
0: yeah i think that's a good point i think for me i didn't uh, you know you know that you and i differ on the palpatine reveal for me it's a big letdown yeah and and uh, you know i don't remember if it was you or someone was pointing out to me people who go see it a second time have noticed and I noticed it my second time that if you just snip like five lines, Ray does not need to be a Palpatine <laughs> and the story still actually works. Um, She can have like his powers, but not actually literally genetically be a Palpatine. I think that that's fine. Um But you know, I, I, I see value. I, you know, you and I have talked about why you responded to Ray as a Palpatine uh in terms of like, the idea of coming from, I mean, similar to Luke Skywalker, you know, coming from a ancestry that you're not proud of or, or people or parents or grandparents or whatever that you're like, I don't want to be that. I'm afraid of being that. Let me just try to be me instead and let me be a good person instead. And I think there is power in that story. It's just mm-hmm. unfortunate that it comes. That in telling that story, it buries this other story that Ryan Johnson had started to establish, which is like, you cannot know your family. You cannot know them. They can actually be no one or they can be alcoholics who left you behind or whatever it is and still be powerful. And I think both of those stories are interesting. I just feel like we've already seen the Palpatine story with Luke and Darth Vader. And a similar uh, story with Luke and Darth Vader. And we hadn't really seen the nobody story. And so that's why it felt like something new, kind of new and cool in Star Wars. And, and it's not the story that JJ want to tell. And you know, that it, it's his movie, whatever he can do what he want. But mm-hmm. um, I, that for me continues to be the biggest letdown of rise of Skywalker. I think.
1: Yes. And I fully get it. I do. Yeah. Um, I think one of the lines I dislike the most is when, uh, Palpatine and Rey are battling it out and he's like, I am all the Sith. And that line doesn't bother me because that seems like, it's one, it seems very childish to me. It's like, I'm rubber, I'm glue, like, you know, whatever <laughs> you say bounces off <laughs> me and sticks to you. Like, like, uh, you know, uh, it, and then she responds, and I am all the Jedi. And I, and I think she's speaking in terms of like, I have all of them behind me you have all of those guys behind you uh and now it's like we're we're at this focal point but really when he says i am all the sith uh what i wanted her to say was and i am nobody from nowhere and like the idea that he could assemble this cosmic lineage and learn all of these remarkable facts and Powers and summon this evil over the eons into his being, like and and basically create this identity for himself, and that she could do the same, but not lose the perspective of where she came from, which is what we always admire about powerful people, right? Like, yeah, he's a zillionaire or she's a famous actress. Or, you know, he's president of the United States, but he hasn't forgotten he's still Jenny from the block, you know. <laughs> so yeah. I like the idea that she would, um, you know, they would each have these, the full powers of light and dark on either side, but that she would remember, uh, she would remain humble. And that that would be the thing that overwhelms evil, is that humility and decency. And,
0: yeah, and, and, I like uh, that. <laughs>
1: remembering that she was just broom boy, you know.
0: Well, that, you know, as long as we're getting to like fan fiction rewrite The Rise of Skywalker, I would have preferred if at two things at the very end. Um, -hmm. number one, I don't know why Ben isn't there with Luke and Leia on Tatooine. Mm Uh, some people have, uh, come up with the idea that he is like inside of her because he has given her his life force. But I read this great tweet that it was, (laughs) that said something like, um, Having, you know, the, the soul of your, like, of your ex-boyfriend or whatever, like, trapped forever in your body is a horror movie. <laughs> and I was like, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, I hope that's not true. Um, so I would have liked to have had Ben there. And then I also similar, in a very similar vein, when that woman asks, like, Ray who? or whatever, I would have liked her to say, just Ray. And I'm like, that's enough. Just Ray. Ray Skywalker. I don't like oh. that.
1: It doesn't work for me. <laughs> so, um, I don't know i like your version of it i i don't i like i do like the ray skywalker bit i feel like that's like choosing your family you know and um but i do like just ray that would have been a very powerful thing because that would have given people what they wanted right is that i think it's not so much that i think people wanted her to inherit her powers from somebody I, I honestly don't believe that was the majority of people who wanted to know. Like, they, I think they just wanted the mystery to be solved in a way that was I
0: felt connected.
1: That felt connected, like, like in yeah. any. Let's just say, like in a murder mystery, right? Ima- imagine if the end of the murder mystery is, oh, it was none of the assembled family here in Knives Out. It was just this random guy who came in. <laughs> like that wouldn't but if, be unsatisfying. It has to be like be, the the, would, the killer has to be among the cast. You know, it would be so unsatisfying like would. if there
0: isn't like another story beat reason for it. Yeah, and I feel like there's a story beat reason for Ray to be nobody from nowhere. And I agree yes. with you. If that had happened in Knives Out, I'd be like, I'm sorry, Ryan. I support Wait, you what? in the Last Jedi, but I need my money back for this. Um so. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but 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 I feel like that's what. But I do think there's an audience that's like, well, I want, if we're going to create a mystery of who she is, I want who she is to have some thread back to something that I know. And, and, um. Uh, right. And,
0: and that's true. And, and then there were also fans. That's, that's a fandom. And there were also fans who are like, I, I am really excited that there is something so incredibly fresh and new. Yes. Coming from Star Wars after all these
1: years. So I think the um, unity point is at the, is that she finds out. Oh, I have this awful lineage. Not only am I nobody, which is disappointing, but I'm somebody terrible. Like, I was hoping I was Obi-Wan, Kenobi's granddaughter, but instead I'm this heart, like, this disgusting tyrant's granddaughter. Like, oh, this is the only thing worse. And I think this was JJ's thinking was this is worse than being nobody. Um, but then at the end, if she had said, I'm just Ray, that would have given people who wanted her just to be nobody that satisfaction of, she just decided she's her own self, her own person and not that's enough. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's interesting. So another thing that we've learned since, um, you know, for every time one of these star Wars films comes out, um, Lucasone puts out this thing called the visual dictionary, which has a lot of supplemental material in it, uh, written by Pablo Hidalgo of the story group. And there's just like a lot of fun descriptions of like plot, uh, props and blah, blah. But there is, uh a huge plot point that's in, <laughs> that's in this book because i believe this book was printed before they had done their final cut on the movie which is and cuz i had heard about this this idea that like um this new character played by Naomi Aki uh, Jana was Lando's daughter and that Lando stayed on Pasana because his daughter got got taken uh by the first order and he was looking for her and that's why he stayed on Pasana. um and that was a story that was a plot line that I had heard about. And so when I saw the final product and that wasn't in there, except for that very odd, I think moment at the end of the film, um,
1: where it's like, Oh, you want to find out who you are? Like, let's go together. Like, like it yeah, seems like
0: odd. kind of flirty. It's weird. Uh, with, without the rest of it, then it's just like, okay, they didn't, they, they looked at their movie. They really, they felt like they didn't have room for the storyline. So they cut it out. Um, but it's in the visual dictionary confirmed that she is Lando's daughter. And so it's just, it's, that's a weird quirk of like, we fin, we finished the book before the movie, sort of. Wait, is it
1: confirmed or does it merely say he has a missing daughter and people are making that connection? I don't, does the book, the book doesn't say she is explicitly his daughter, right?
0: Uh, okay. Um, I I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know. Um, but let's just say, it tips its hand more in that direction, yes. I guess. Sure. Okay. Yeah.
1: Sure. I mm, think. But that's, Maybe that's... I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I thought there were a number of things in this movie like that. that. Well, that was just cut out. And so yeah. you can take it or leave it. But sure. unresolved things like Finn having something to tell her and then not getting to it. I just don't understand that. I don't understand why that's in the movie if it's not going to be paid off.
0: Right, and, and apparently I think JJ implied or, or, you know, whatever that what he wanted to tell her was that he was force sensitive, not that he loved her or whatever. Um yeah, and, yeah, and it is interesting to start that and not finish it. I don't know. Uh just a lot you know, it felt like the thing that I've heard even from people who really love the Rise of Skywalker is that it just felt like there was too much movie in this movie. And it's amazing, like, realizing how much uh you know, they had to cut out to even get to this point of too much movie in the movie. Uh, you know, so that's, you know, and, and I have a lot of sympathy for them because, you know, there were a lot of things that, um, they were grappling with. Number one, Carrie Fisher passed away. That changed uh, a lot of things. Number two, Colin Trevorrow was let go. That changed a lot of things and that they never moved their release date despite those things happening. And so they had to scramble, and I think what we're seeing is, is unfortunately the result of a scramble, um, to, to land this. So, you know, there's plenty of people who love the movie. So, you know, it, it worked for plenty of people. And, and maybe there are people who want something else from Star Wars. Um, but I think I'm fine. I'm, what I'm seeing is the reverse of the last Jedi with the last Jedi I saw that, um, the more people watched it, the more they liked it. And the, what I'm saying with rise of Skywalker is the more people watch it, the more they just it. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, who knows, but I am, I'm glad I do want to say something really positive about the fandom right now. Um, which is, um, I'm sure you've seen the story that there are, um, uh, there were a number of people who were, upset about what happened uh in the end to Adam Driver's character Kylo Ren/Ben slash ben Solo. Um and uh, these are the the they're known as the Raylos, the Raylo fans. Um I thought I thought he got a really nice ending. I like the redemption, I like the sacrifice, I like the Vader parallel. I like it all works for me. But there's a lot of people who wanted him to do like a, I, I do think it's odd that he has no lines. Really as Ben Solo, I think that that's odd. I I if we're fanficking once again, I would have given him and Ray, like, a scene with dialogue at the very end there, because Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley are so good. And, you know, a very, like, a, give them a Vader and Luke scene, you know, give them that. Um, that would have been really happy. But, um, for the fans who were unhappy, they have channeled their frustration into a GoFundMe. Um, for Adam Driver's charity, this charity that he founded, which is, or, um, a not charity, maybe non-profit, um, called, like, arts, I believe it's called Arts in the Armed Forces. I, I might have mm-hmm. that incorrect, but, um, and have raised at this point, I think it's close to $40,000, maybe more, mm. um, for that. And that is, that's, that funds the program for an entire year. Um, bringing the performing arts, you know, because um, Adam Driver uh, himself was in the armed forces. So bringing the performing arts to the armed forces. And I just think that that is a really cool and positive thing for a fandom <laughs> to do with their frustration. You know what I mean? Is like, instead of channeling it into online toxicity, they, they funneled it into this fundraiser. and I think that that's a really, really cool thing. And I want to shout it out. So.
1: You yeah, that's, that is so, we're, we're, how how would people find that by searching GoFundMe and?
0: Yeah, let me find the exact thing so I can, uh, which I should have had ready, so that I can direct people if they too want to donate. Um, yeah, but uh, we'll hit it there- at the
1: end. We'll hit it at the end as we wrap up. We'll give sure the, sure, uh, Then you have time to find it.
0: Sure. Um, <laughs> what else do you want? Is there anything else you want to say about Rose Skywalker?
1: I just think he had to die. I'm sorry, Ray There's no happily ever after for somebody who commits the crimes and wrongs and mass murder that Kylo Ren committed. Like I think forgiveness is possible and maybe a bit of redemption, but like, there's no uh, welcoming him back to resistance base camp and partying with him with, all the other aliens and puppets, like <laughs> this is not going to happen. I mean,
0: I think if you try to think of, I think what the people who are hoping, you know, like, I don't know, he and Ray live happily ever after on a moisture farm on Tatooine or whatever. I think the way that they were rationalizing it was to try to make in their minds, Ben Solo and Kylo Ren be two different people, sort of like Ben Solo falls and everything that he did. It's like being in a fugue state. Everything he does is Kylo Ren doesn't count. Um, you know, and I think people try, think of Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader as the same thing, two different people. Um, but Anakin Skywalker had to die for his sins, and I think Ben Solo probably did too, you know. There's I I, I don't read the, the extended, uh, I don't read like the comics and stuff like that, but I know that there's a lot, there's been a lot of, uh, or at least some stuff about Ben Solo's upbringing in there and and like some of the abuse that he suffered at the hands of Snoke and all this sort of stuff, which makes him an even more sympathetic character for people who've been like, who di- who've gone like really deep on his story outside of the films. So I kind of get, I you know, I have sympathy for that point of view. I just think it is very narratively satisfying in an echoey uh, sort of way for him to die. I think he could have. Been given one more scene <laughs> so, Probably, to, to make enough, everyone yeah. feel whole. One more scene, you know. I don't
1: know. I agree. Yeah.
0: Um. Anything else we want to talk about? I don't. I know. think
1: that kind of covers it. You All know? right.
0: Um. So that's yeah. That's our those are spoilery Rise of Skywalker thoughts. Some some complaints. Some uh, things. Um. I'm trying to think if there's anything I feel more po- even more positive about after the second time. Um, oh. Here's something
1: yeah. I noticed the second time yeah. that yeah. Uh, went past me uh, the first time. There's a lot of talk about Ryan Johnson democratizing the Force and Broom Boy and the idea that the, the Force is speaking to a lot of people, not just descendants of the uh, uh, famous Force wielders. And that is in the movie. It's subtle, perhaps uh, more subtle than people would have wanted, but it's. In the conversation between Finn and Jana, when they talk about leaving and pushing away as former stormtroopers and going AWOL uh, and, ter- and becoming resistance to the First Order, she talks about like a feeling, and he's like, "Yes, like an instinct." Like, and they have this bonding moment over the Force reaching out to them and connecting with them, and I like that idea a lot. I feel like that carries on. A thread that ryan established it also connects back to something that jj established with the force awakening what did that mean where Mm. did it awaken and the idea that it awakened in ordinary people uh who did not feel it before uh is is refreshing and i think it also again it doesn't dwell on it it doesn't take this ball and 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 run really far with it but it does suggest that those people who helped take down the star destroyers in this movie those former stormtroopers rebelling against their their kidnappers uh are connected to the force and may not be jedi powered you know they may not be launching force lightning or force healing or force whatever (laughs) but they do have a a a sort of connection to this invisible cosmic power. And, uh, I really liked that. So I did think that was in there again, not as pronounced perhaps, but still there.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think this idea of making Finn for sensitive, um, and I, I see what they were going for there and they were trying to make a bunch of people happy. And in I think what I, um, what I feel about this movie and it's something that Richard articulated in his review. His review is a bit more brutal than how I feel about The Rise of Skywalker, but something he articulated was that this this film feels so desperate to be liked, so desperate to try to appease everyone on both sides that it just gets lost in the jumble of that. Yeah. And uh, and that's how I feel about almost every decision. I'm like, okay, making trying to make Finn for sensitive uh, will hopefully make the people who are upset that Finn was not a Jedi, even though he was holding the lightsaber on the poster and in the trailers for The Force Awakens. Maybe it'll make them happy, and it'll make John Boyega happy because John Boyega was mad about being sidelined in this in the last movie. And maybe it'll make these people happy. And I'm like, yeah, but it's kind of half measured because it's there, but it's not. <laughs> you don't. You don't like. W- tie it up with anything is just kind of there in a way and that's how i feel about a lot of decisions where it's like you know if if i can feel them you know okay rose is technically in this movie so if you liked rose you can't be mad we didn't cut her out of the movie entirely but we did everything but cut her out of the entire movie you know so like maybe people who hate rose are mad are are appeased by that and and instead you know like they um you know, I feel that way about the gay kiss. The gay kiss feels just like a half measure. Like, there's just all this stuff that just feels like, uh, yeah, uh, I wish they had been bolder with it,
1: you know? Be bolder is a, is a good guideline. Like, there's not enough just to say, okay, tag. I've tagged that. Right. I've tagged that. I've checked that box and moved on. Like, it's not enough just to say, okay, we covered that. You do have to – sometimes you do have to dwell on it, and you can't dwell on everything. So choices are important. It's very difficult to make these movies that appeal to everyone, and I don't think that's possible. Right. Um, but I do think you can please... You have to just choose which audience you're playing to.
0: Absolutely. I think that's right. I think you you have to just reconcile the fact that you're not going to please every single person. So just really lean into the story that you want to tell. Yeah. And that's and that's a success. That's You see that success with something like, I think, Mad Max, uh, Fury Road is a good example of that, where that just feels like... I know that there were people who did not like those movies but i think that movie was not at all concerned with trying to be liked it was just trying to be like very bold and i think it was and i think it works so um you know it's i don't know why that uh example came to me um all right uh is there any, anything else you want to say on this our, our my last podcast of of 2019
1: uh, i think that covers it
0: all right. So that, we uh, have that, spoken. <laughs> <laughs> that GoFundMe I mentioned is called the Rise of Ben Solo. Um, actually, the image that, that they're using is the Annie Leibovitz, uh, Vanity Fair cover with, uh, Adam Driver. Mm. Uh, they've raised $46,000. That's well over their goal of $32,000. But if you too would like to donate to arts in the armed forces, uh, you can do that now over at the Rise of Ben Solo GoFundMe. So I'm, I, you know, uh, I think it's a good cause in general, but I just like to see fandoms doing good things when there was just so much fighting around the last Jedi and there's still, there's still so much fighting around this movie. And I'm just like, Oh, but isn't it great when like, what did you, um, did you see that other, um, Star Wars, heartwarming Star Wars fandom story about, um, uh, that i learned about on tiktok about that young man um oh yes yeah yeah um yeah,
1: um, yeah. so uh,
0: so a, a young man who um who was a huge star wars fan um who died earlier this year after stopping the shooter at uh university of north carolina in charlotte uh was given a name he's uh his name's Riley Howell, Howell
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: um, Lucasfilm opted to name a character. Uh, Riley, it's spelled a little different than his given name, it's Howell, R- a Jedi Master.
1: It's R-I-L-E-E. Give it a little cosmic yeah. twist there. But Howell, Riley Howell, Jedi Master, and, uh, and historian. historian.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I, that's just like, ah, oh, that's Star Wars at its greatest. I love that. I love that you know, this is a tremendously tragic and upsetting story. And, and that Lucasfilm like did this beautiful thing, uh, around it is like, that's, that's what I want to love and want to like be excited about. And that's, um, maybe what, you know, we can see even more of, um, in the future for Lucasfilm and for their properties. Uh, Yeah.
1: great. Yeah. 21 year old guy. He rushed the UNC shooter, uh, Riley had his whole life ahead of him and he sacrificed it to, for other people's lives. And, uh, that's something that deserves to be remembered. And, uh, hopefully, you know, we can all, uh, we can all pray that we don't have to rush out in, in, into the line of fire when somebody opens fire in a, uh, a store or a school or a church or wherever we happen to be. And, um, in addition to being heartwarming, I hope it's something that makes people say this really, we don't really have to live this way and maybe we'll eventually get some change, uh, in the way our country operates and thinks about guns and who can, how just about anybody can get one at any time. And, you know, he's a, he's a really admirable young man, Riley Howell, and, uh, he lives on in the galaxy.
0: I think I think Riley and his story is a great way to wrap up uh twenty nineteen and think about two thousand twenty and uh mm-hmm. twenty twenty and all the things that we might accomplish uh next year. And so um Anthony, until until next year, where can folks find you?
1: Uh they can find me on Twitter at Preston Camp.
0: Uh you can find me on Twitter at Wrote This. You can find both of us on veryfair.com. And we will see you in 2020.